buzzard heavy show for you today. Let's get right into it. First buzzard writes in. You like Amir Abdullah, that's great, but what about Zach Zenner? I like Zach Zenner. I would like Zach Zenner more if he were not on the same team as Amir Abdullah. That's a problem. He checks most of the boxes. We like Zach Zenner because he's big. He's over 220 pounds. He has a great college dominator rating, over 80th percentile. Yes, it was at a small school, but great dominator rating. Agility score, burst score, spark score over the 90th percentile. There's a lot to like about Zach Zenner. Zach Zenner is the type of running back I would normally like, but there are two red flags on his profile. Slow 40 time, 460, number one. Number two, old. Late breakout age, over 24 years old. Meanwhile, Amir Abdullah is young. So you have Amir Abdullah, who's two years younger than Zach Zenner, and Amir Abdullah is a better athlete, and Amir Abdullah was as productive in college as Zach Zenner, except that Amir Abdullah did it at a Division I university. So put the profiles next to each other. If you compare the two profiles, Amir Abdullah is head and shoulders the better running back. He was the better running back prospect coming in, and now you've seen it on the field. He looks like the better running back. So Zach Zenner checks a lot of boxes, and, and he's, he's going to be a good little player. I think he's going to be a good player in the NFL. I don't think he's going to be special, but I think he's going to be good. But he's not Amir Abdullah. And being on the same team as Amir Abdullah, it offers very little in the way of hope. In both redraft and dynasty, the question is, how is this guy ever going to produce? It would require an injury to Amir Abdullah. And I don't roster guys hoping for an injury unless it's a very deep dynasty team. And in these very deep, very competitive dynasty leagues, most of the guys in those leagues, they value Zach Zenner. You can't just pick up Zach Zenner off the waiver wire. You can't get Zach Zenner for a dollar. He's actually expensive in those leagues, so I don't own Zach Zenner anywhere. But also, I have to choose which small school, athletic, productive players I cheer for. I can't just hoard Every productive small school athlete. I can't do it. I just can't do it. This year, coming into this year, this class of running backs had a handful of small school guys that I liked. I liked Zach Zenner, but I also liked Gus Johnson. I also liked Terrell Watson. So in these deep dynasty leagues, I own Gus Johnson and Terrell Watson. Those are the guys I have stashed on my taxi squad, not Zach Zenner, because I wasn't willing to pay what at least one owner in every league was willing to pay for Zach Zenner. There's been an exuberance about Zach Zenner for a while now. So I just don't own Zach Zenner because I have to pick and choose which of these small school great athletes I end up rooting for, and he just, for whatever reason, didn't make the cut. Certainly, I like Terrell Watson, and I like Gus Johnson because I like Gus Johnson because I like the Dallas Cowboys offense and their offensive line. So for a couple reasons, I liked Gus Johnson and Terrell Watson more than Zach Zenner. But now Zach Zenner is getting an opportunity that Gus Johnson and Terrell Watson didn't have. He's now playing, which is great. Those other guys aren't playing. So that's something that Zach Zenner has going for him. But he's just not Amir Abdullah special. He's not. And so the guy on the Lions I'm focused on Right now, acquiring the running back on the Lions is not Zach Zenner, it's Amir Abdullah, and I'm aggressively targeting Amir Abdullah in all leagues. If I don't own him, I'm trying to get him. I'm trying to get Calvin Johnson, I'm trying to trade for Golden Tate, and I'm trying to trade for Amir Abdullah. 
is what we talked about in a previous show because the Lions faced such a difficult schedule leading up to week five. Three of their four games were on the road, and it included Denver, Seattle, and Minnesota. For Stafford, Calvin Johnson, and Golden Tate, it gets better this week because they play a weak secondary in Arizona. Yeah, Tyron Matthew is there, but after him, the Cardinals are in the top 10 in terms of fantasy points allowed to wide receivers, so it gets better for the Lions. Unfortunately, the Cardinals are one of the better run defenses, so this might be another week that Amir Abdullah is stymied, and then you might be able to trade for Amir Abdullah in exchange for something even less next week. He might be even more affordable next week. It's amazing. So if I don't get Amir Abdullah this week, I'll I'll come back to these owners next week trying to get Amir Abdullah. Now, let's talk about the Saints because we had a buzzard right in. You never talk about the Saints. That's true. That was it. I mean, that was that was the message. You never talk about the Saints. Didn't ask me any follow-up. Would you please talk about player X? No, just you never talk about the Saints. That's fair criticism. I don't think I've talked much about the Saints at all. This I don't think I've tweeted about the Saints. I don't think I've written articles about the Saints. I haven't had the Saints on as a topic on the show. So let's talk about the Saints. I, I want to give, I want to fill our Saints quota right now. The Saints do not look like the Saints. I'll say that right now. The Saints are the Aints. Something's wrong with them. I don't know what's wrong. I don't. They beat the Cowboys last week, but they didn't look like the Saints. It's a different team. When you watch the Saints, you're just used to a certain level of efficiency and prolificness from the Saints offense, and you just don't see it when you watch them play, and it's just weird. It's just a weird to watch them. Maybe that's why I'm not talking about them, because when I watch them, there's this incongruence, and I feel awkward watching them because it just it's not the same anymore. It's kind of like seeing an old girlfriend, and you're just like, yeah, geez, I remember feeling this passion when I would get near you, and now it's just nothing. Weird. Passion is lost with the Saints. Except for that one play. Of course there was that one play. Pass to C.J. Spiller, gone. Why? Because that running back runs a sub 4-4-40. If that was a different running back, that would not have been a touchdown. That's how it works. That's why you want your players to be fast. That's why you want great athletes on your football team and on your fantasy team. Because they can take a single pass and go out and score a touchdown on any given play. That's what great athletes do. That's why you want great athletes on your team. C.J. Spiller personifies the athlete at the running back position that since he came into the league, he has deserved more touches. That is a running back that should be fed the ball. And whether it was in Buffalo, now in New Orleans, he's just not receiving enough touches. We see this with Jamal Charles. Somehow, some way, the coaches got over themselves and this irrational fear of giving the smaller running backs too many carries, stereotyping the running backs as change of pace backs when they're under 210 pounds. With Jamal Charles, they finally got over it, and they said, okay, we're going to stop discriminating against Jamal Charles because he's under 200 pounds, and we're just going to give him the football and see what he can do. We're going to feed him. Now Jamal Charles is the best running back in fantasy. Well, second best. Le'Veon Bell, different, different stratosphere there. Le'Veon Bell looks like the next LaDainian Tomlinson. So no, he's not Le'Veon Bell, but if you can't get Le'Veon Bell, the next best thing is Jamal Charles. And I believe that that could be C.J. Spiller if he would, he were just given enough opportunity, but he's not. But you saw it. That last play of the game against the Cowboys, 
That's why you want to give those players the ball as much as possible because they can go score touchdowns and win games. That's it. Isn't that, the, isn't that what we're trying to do? We're trying to win games? But the problem with the Saints is, I believe the problem with the Saints is that Drew Brees isn't what he was. He's getting older gradually, and the aging process is speeding up with the shoulder injury. So it's compounding. The shoulder injury is compounding the aging process. And now the Saints offense is unrecognizable until the final play of the game. It was unrecognizable until the C.J. Spiller play. And then you're like, oh, this feels like the Saints again. But the Saints are struggling right now to find wide receivers that can produce. We thought it was going to be Brandon Coleman. I didn't think it was going to be Brandon Coleman, but I heard that it was going to be Brandon Coleman. That Brandon Coleman was a sleeper. Remember the Brandon Coleman sleeper talk? Oh, so much Brandon Coleman sleeper talk. Oh, Brandon Coleman... He is going to be the third receiver in New Orleans and command significant targets in the red zone because he's 6'6", 225 pounds. Oh, yeah. Brandon Coleman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So exciting that he could usurp Marcus Colson. Marcus Colson's getting old. He's, he's approaching his mid-30s, and this could be the time. This could be the year that Brandon Coleman usurps him and becomes the number two option for Drew Brees. Oh, Wow. Fantasy boon, fantasy payday, Brandon Coleman, get him. His ADP rose and rose and rose. Finished the year, the end of August at 159.1. Earlier in the summer, he was well into the 200s. A lot of hype around Brandon Coleman. Remember that? Remember that? I never liked it. Never liked him. Don't own him. Never advocated for him. Why? Because Brandon Coleman doesn't have a positive check mark on his profile. I mean, he has some nice things going for him. He has a nice height-adjusted speed score, 111.2. That's good. He's like Kelvin Benjamin in that way. He has a nice height-adjusted speed score. But look at the other workout metrics. 113.8 burst score for Brandon Coleman. That's 11th percentile. That's nothing. 1184 agility score. 1184 agility score? That's third percentile. So somehow, some way, a 6'6 receiver on playerprofiler.com, has a 9.94 catch radius. That's 33rd percentile. How is that possible? Because he's a plodding scarecrow on the football field. That's why. You might as well have me holding up a scarecrow running down the field. That's the amount of utility that Brandon Coleman brings to the Saints offense. Now, if Brandon Coleman were dominant in college, we would be having a different conversation. We would be more focused on his height-adjusted speed score, and, and, and there would be reasons to explain away the burst and the agility problems. Because you could say, well, no, it doesn't matter because he understands the nuances of the wide receiver position. He knows how to gain leverage on defenders in a way that these workout metrics don't reflect. That would be the argument. But here was the problem, and here was the reason why I was never enthusiastic about Brandon Coleman. Brandon Coleman's college dominator rating was 26.7 at Rutgers. Who was the other receiver on the field with him commanding targets? I have no idea. It's Rutgers. Get out of here. He wasn't sharing a field with Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. He wasn't sharing a field with Sammy Watkins and Martavis Bryant, DeAndre Hopkins. 26.7 College Dominator rating. For a 6'6", 225 receiver at Rutgers playing Rutgers competition is embarrassing. But it's weird. You see a guy with a great height-adjusted speed score. You think, wow, I've got, a, 
I got to explain this away somehow. And you watch the film. I went and watched some film, some Rutgers film on Brandon Coleman because I didn't understand why so many of those that I follow, people I respect in the industry, were giddy about Brandon Coleman's potential. So I went and bat and watched some Rutgers film. Had to. Had to try to explain this. And I was watching it going, wow, wow, that guy's slow. I mean, if there was a plotter, we talk about plotters being running backs. If there was a plotter at the wide receiver position, it would have been Brandon Coleman. Because the question was, how does a 6'6", 225-pound wide receiver that runs a 4'5", how does that player not go get drafted at least in the 6th or 7th round? How does he go undrafted? Well, that's how. Because when you watch the film, you're like, oh, wow, he's wearing cement shoes. He's wearing His shoes are cement blocks. Everyone else is wearing cleats, sponsored by Adidas, probably. But not Brandon Coleman. He, his shoes are sponsored by some cement company. So I was just pass on Brandon Coleman. And Brandon Coleman, though, Brandon Coleman has revealed the essence of Brandon Coleman. He is the key that unlocks the door to reveal the foolishness of the big wide receiver movement. Oh, team big wide receiver is revealed as ludicrous in the form of Brandon Coleman. Because what does Team Big Receiver say? Team Big Receiver says, you buy the big receiver regardless of his other metrics. Sell the small receiver regardless of his other metrics. We're dropping Philip Dorsett so we can go get Brandon Coleman. That's the disposition of Team Big Receiver. And that's dumb. Then I ask people, why do you like Brandon Coleman? Why, why, why? Members of the Roto Underworld team we're advocating for Brandon Coleman. I asked them, why? Why? Why Brandon Coleman? Why? I had to get to the bottom of this because understanding the enthusiasm around Brandon Coleman was important for me to understand prospect evaluation and player forecasting. I felt like there was a missing piece that I needed to understand. I was genuinely asking the question, why do you like this Brandon Coleman sponsored by Cement? Why do you like him? And the only answer I ever received back was, oh, well, uh, 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 team big receiver, uh, team big receiver, uh, 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 team big receiver. That was it. So let me get this straight there. Let me get this straight. You're going to go ahead and drop Philip Dorsett so you can grab one Brandon Coleman? You're going to grab Brandon Coleman over Philip Dorsett because he's big? Because you're on team big receiver? Oh, that doesn't make no sense, man. I don't, I don't know much. I don't know much, but I think you're overthinking it, man. I think you're overthinking it. That Brandon Coleman boy, he's, he's slow. He can't play no wide receiver. They got to convert that boy to tight end. You can't drop no Philip Dorsett for Brandon Coleman. That don't make no sense, man. That's right. That's right. He, he's right. The Southerner is right. The dubious Southerner is right. He's scolded you, team big receiver people. Brandon Coleman enthusiasts. Now, he's just a... He's just a common man. He doesn't overthink things. He's, he's not Harvard educated. He just, he sees the world for what it is. And he makes decisions based on what he sees and what's obvious to him. He doesn't overthink things. That's not what he does. So he was drafting Philip Dorsett over Brandon Coleman. He wasn't trading Philip Dorsett for Brandon Coleman. He was laughing at you that we're doing that, team big receiver. And he was the one saying, you all sound like simpletons. Why do you sound like simpletons? Why does team big receiver? Why, why is that whole concept ridiculous? Because you're only looking at 
one or two metrics, height and weight. That's stupefyingly oversimplified analysis. And what's going on in New Orleans perfectly illustrates why that analysis, why that approach, just grab the big receiver and ignore the small receiver, why that approach is stupid. Because all of team big receiver, every single one, 100 out of 100 team big receiver members own Brandon Coleman and don't own Willie Sneed. And they're all wrong. They all got it wrong. Because last week, Willie Sneed had six catches for 89 yards. Brandon Coleman, one catch for 30 yards. Willie Sneed, six targets. Brandon Coleman, one target. Wait a second. Hold on. Are you saying that Sean Payton and Drew Brees are not on team big receiver? They're not just going to feed the player just because he's big? That's not how the NFL works? What? This is so confusing. You can't evaluate a player just based on his height and weight. You, you have to look at other things? This is crazy. No. If he's big, we get him, right? If he, is he big? Okay, let's get him on our team. Get the big guy and just ignore the little guy and that's it. Just get the big one. I want the big one. I don't want the little one, right? It's like going to a toy store with a four-year-old. I just want the big one. Give me the big one, dad. I don't want a small one. <laughs> so now team big receiver misses out on Willie Sneed. Willie Sneed's exciting. His profile doesn't really look exciting on the surface at all. When you go to playerprofiler.com, Willie Sneed, woof, best comparable player, Alan Bonner. Oh, who's Alan Bonner? I don't even know. Willie Sneed runs a 4.62. Willie Sneed's slower than Brandon Coleman somehow, somehow. 13th percentile height-adjusted speed score for Willie Sneed. It's not, it's not starting off well, the workout metrics for Willie Sneed. And it gets worse. 113.5 burst score, very Brandon Coleman-esque. And an 11.58 agility score. At least that is better than Brandon Coleman, but still 8th percentile. So Willie Sneed's workout metrics are some of the worst you'll find for a receiver. I mean, they're not Jarvis Landry bad. No one's Jarvis Landry bad. But they're bad. They're approaching Jarvis Landry bad. But here's the thing I like about Willie Sneed. Here's what Willie Sneed has going for him. And you know where this is going. I mean, you all know where this is going. In unison, right? Let's do this, minions. Underworld minions, let's do this. There's a metric I'm looking at. And I'm looking at all of you. I'm looking at this metric. Now I'm looking at all of you. I'm looking at this metric. Now I'm looking at all of you. I'm looking at this metric. Now I'm looking at all of you. Let's all say it in unison. What's the metric on the count of three? The metric that I'm excited about when it comes to Willie Sneed. The metric that matters more than any other metric. The metric that, if you had to distill it down, is the reason why Willie Sneed is better than Brandon Coleman. On the count of three. One. Everybody say it. Say it out loud. If you're in your car, say it. If you're in your office, say it. Doesn't matter where you are. If you're jogging, say it. I want you to say this out loud. Everyone needs to say this. It, the world needs to hear this. There's going to be this. Everyone around the world is going to hear this, this slight murmur, and they're not going to know where it came from. They're not going to recognize it. They're just going to go on with their life. But we are at least going to get everyone in the world to recognize what we're about to say, at least as this background noise murmur, okay? So if we all say it together, we'll get a worldwide murmur going at least. So on the count of three, I'm going to, let's say the metric, okay? One, two, three. College Dominator rating! 
Brandon Coleman's college dominator rating, I'll give it to you again, 26.7% at Rutgers. Puke. Blah. Blah, blah. <coughs> like, I've been poisoned. Looking at that dominator rating for Brandon Coleman, I feel like I've been poisoned. And Brandon Coleman, if there was ever a reason why team big receivers should just be disbanded, they should just all look at each other and go, yeah, this whole movement, this was a bad idea. This was pretty stupid. We're just going to, let's just all walk away and go our separate ways and never meet again. Yeah, Brandon Coleman. Yeah, we've been, this, this whole thing has been revealed to be a farce, this team big receiver nonsense. Because we're getting outproduced. Our boy, our poster child, the guy we erected a statue of in the front lawn, Brandon Coleman. When you walk into Team Big Receiver headquarters, you walk past a statue of Brandon Coleman. That statue does have a ball clanking off his hands. (laughs) It's beside the point. It's time to walk away. It's time to disband the movement. And that the movement was single-handedly destroyed by one Willie Sneed. The 5'11", 195-pound Willie Sneed. Willie Sneed and his elegant, delicious, intoxicating 39.4% college dominator rating. Willie Sneed, as it turns out, is a better football player than Brandon Coleman. And that matters! Oh, that so matters! Oh! And you look at what happened against the Cowboys. Willie Sneed played 48 of the 73 snaps against the Cowboys. Marcus Colson played 41 snaps. Brandon Coleman, 19 snaps. Willie Sneed more than doubled Brandon Coleman's snap count and more than doubled his production. Because Willie Sneed is a better receiver than Brandon Coleman. It really is a beautiful distillation. I love the distillation. Distilling down the ludicrousness of Team Big Receiver's fundamental tenets to Brandon Coleman versus Willie Sneed reveals the ridiculousness of the movement. God, that makes me happy. Love Willie Sneed. Go get Willie Sneed. I'm rostering Willie Sneed. Willie Sneed and his Jarvis Landrian metrics. Don't care. Going to get him. One interesting thing about Willie Sneed, and one thing that I, I have to say is cool about him, there are very few players that have this particular physical attribute at 5'11". Willie Sneed has 33-inch arms. You can go to playerprofiler.com. We have the arm length. That's 77th percentile. So Willie Sneed has the arm length of a 6'2", 6'3", receiver. So even though he's 5'11", those long arms clearly help him. Now, I was right about Brandon Coleman, and I feel great about it. But at no point on social media, at no point in an email we've received, and you can email the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com, or tweet us at rotounderworld. At no point does anyone remember the player that I warned against. Never. I never get an attaboy about a player like C.J. Anderson or Brandon Coleman, someone I was saying. You can go ahead and, and ignore that player at his particular ADP. Devontae Adams, ring a bell, right? Never. Never, never, never. There's very little, and I'm not looking for adulation. I'm not looking for attaboy. I am not. I don't want, that's a waste of brain power, of electronic communication to send me an email congratulating me about that prediction that I made that was correct. Don't bother. I don't need that. 
But it's just interesting to see that there is literally zero recognition for those forecasts. And the sole focus is on the players I was wrong about. So often I get trolled on social media. You were wrong about DeMarco Murray. When's Devontae Parker going to play? You were wrong about Devontae Parker. First of all, I, was, I wasn't wrong about Devontae Parker. I was wrong about DeMarco Murray. Yes, I was wrong about DeMarco Murray. I was wrong about Teddy Bridgewater. Yes, I was. I'll say it. I, I, I've said it before. I don't know how many shows where I have to come out and say I was wrong about DeMarco Murray and I was wrong about Teddy Bridgewater. Yes, I was. Keep bringing it up, though. But I wasn't wrong about Devontae Parker. I never said that I knew when Devontae Parker would break out. I don't know when his breakout is going to happen. What fantasy football prognosticator knows the exact game that rookie wide receiver X is finally going to get an 80% snap share and break out and become fantasy relevant? No one knows the exact game. When did I ever predict a particular week and say, this is the week Devontae Parker becomes a WR2 in fantasy? But some of you buzzards, you're just impatient fools. You are. You are impatient fools. A lot of you buzzers, I'm looking up at you, and you're looking down at me, and I'm pointing at you, and you know who you are. You are impatient fools. You're not even real buzzards. You're just up there wearing buzzard costumes. You're flapping wings, but it's actually a contraption. They're made of wood, and they're fake feathers, and you're trying to blend in with the rest of the flock, the flock that knows what they're doing, the flock that's picking up Willie Sneed instead of Brandon Coleman. But you're not even a buzzard. You're a fake buzzard. You're a dodo. You're a fake buzzard dodo. Telling me I'm wrong about my Devontae Parker prediction. In fact, I was the only specific Devontae Parker prediction I've made recently. I was right. I was right. I said that they will shake things up. And in doing so, the Dolphins will be marginalizing the wrong receiver. And that's exactly what happened. My fear was the Dolphins were going to underutilize Rashard Matthews in the next few weeks while continuing to feed the ball to Jarvis Landry and his zero percentile athleticism. And sure enough, that's what happened last week. Rashard Matthews, one catch on three targets for 16 yards. Wah, wah, wah. If you started him, I'm sorry, but we saw this coming. Jarvis Landry, and this is the killer. This is what, for all of us Rashard Matthews owners, I'm a Rashard Matthews owner. I am, yeah. I didn't start him, but uh, because I was just skeptical, kills me to see the Jarvis Landry stat line. Four catches on 12 targets for 40 yards for Jarvis Landry last week. 3.33 yards per target. That's an abomination. That can't happen. That's not an NFL receiver. That's not what an NFL receiver looks like. Jarvis Landry has one specific trait, maybe two specific traits. I'll give him two specific traits. Specific traits for Jarvis Landry. One, precise route runner, I guess. I don't have a way to measure that, but that is consensus. So I will concede that one. And I know for a fact that he has big, strong hands. That's for sure. He has great hands. That's not up for dispute. The problem is when those big, great hands are attached to the least athletic receiver in the NFL, what you get is 3.33 yards per target on Sunday. And what else do you get? You get a fired coach. Joe Philbin, who looks like a pilgrim, didn't make it to Thanksgiving. But that's the ray of hope that Philbin was fired. There is a ray of hope now 
that the new coach will install Devontae Parker, that this new coach will not have his head firmly placed in his asshole, that he will remove his head. In fact, the hope is that the new coach, that his head was never in his asshole, that instead of his eyes staring up at his rectum, that the coach is staring out at the football field and watching the wide receivers practice and thinking to himself, hmm, that Jarvis Landry can't really run. He's not explosive at all. He offers no big playability. We shouldn't play him. Hmm. Let me talk to the general manager. Oh, general manager, new general manager, Mike Tannenbaum. Did you draft Jarvis Landry? What's the deal with Jarvis Landry? I don't get the fascination. Why did you draft him? Why do we keep playing him? Mike Tannenbaum's like, oh, I didn't draft Jarvis Landry. So the general manager wasn't responsible for drafting Jarvis Landry, and now the new coach isn't responsible for Jarvis Landry. Hmm. Hmm. If I'm a Jarvis Landry owner, looking at these efficiency stats, I'm worried. Because there's a chance that the Miami Dolphins coaching staff finally gets their wide receiver configuration right. Finally. Do you know what that wide receiver configuration is? The right wide receiver configuration that gives the Miami Dolphins the best chance to score points and the best chance to win football games is to have Kenny Stills in three receiver sets out wide as the stretch X. You have Devontae Parker starting at flanker, and you have Rashard Matthews in the slot. And you have Jarvis Landry on the bench. Maybe have him returning punts because that's pretty useless. Use your big hands. Don't fumble the punt. Just secure the punt. Don't let it clank off your shoulder pads. Just make sure we don't have turnovers on punt returns. Thank you, Jarvis. Put those hands to good use. Because they don't belong on the offensive side of the football. Because he doesn't help you score points. Jarvis Landry is on pace for 100 catches and zero touchdowns. How is that possible? It's possible when you're the least athletic wide receiver in the league, and yet the coaching staff continues to start you and feed you targets for no apparent reason. Because they like losing. That's the only reason. I mean, it, the easiest way for a team to go 1-15 would be to feed Jarvis Landry targets incessantly. And that's what I did at the beginning of the year, throughout the summer. I warned you, this is what Jarvis Landry is. And the question is, when will the coaching staff figure it out? And if you own Jarvis Landry, you should be worried that one day they will figure it out. Because right now, he's producing despite having... No explosive ability whatsoever. Offering zero potential for explosive plays. That is not a sustainable fantasy asset. If you're a Jarvis Landry owner, it's time to come to Jesus. But you were wrong about DeMarco Murray. Don't forget, you were wrong about DeMarco Murray. Yes, okay, I was wrong about DeMarco Murray. Thank you, buzzards. Thank you for that. God, I almost forgot. Thank you for reminding me. Appreciate that. Whoa. Whew. DeMarco Murray wants the ball more. He came out publicly and said, I need the ball more. So we like that. There is a glimmer of hope for DeMarco Murray that he might turn this around. I don't think he will. Some people might look at the situation in Philadelphia and go, well, they, they won, and now they have some positive momentum. DeMarco Murray is healthy again. He's over his hamstring strain. He was a number one running back last year. He was number two in fantasy last year in terms of fantasy points per game. This is a player... If there was a player that could turn it around, it would be DeMarco Murray, prolific fantasy running back in his prime, finally getting healthy. I think he can turn it around. You would expect me to say that behind this microphone. I know you would expect me to say that, but I am not going to say that because the Eagles have a league bottom offensive line. That's why I was wrong about him because I didn't know they were going to have a league bottom offensive line. I didn't see that coming. 
And because they have a league bottom offensive line, I don't see the narrative that you could build to convince anyone that DeMarco Murray is going to turn it around. I couldn't, I can't, I can't create the scenario in my mind to tell you a story about why DeMarco Murray will be better moving forward. I can't do it. And responding to Murray's comments, this is what Chip Kelly said. This was great. Everyone needs the ball more. I've got no issue with that. We need to play more on offense. That's the bottom line. We're getting off the field on third down. And most of the time, when we're off the field on third down, it's our fault. We're doing it to ourselves. That's just it, isn't it? Like, that is it. They are doing it to themselves. That's the problem. The Eagles don't have a good offense. DeMarco Murray is trapped on an inefficient offense behind one of the worst offensive lines in football. Chip Kelly's like, yeah, sure, I'd love to have more plays. I'd love to give him the ball more. But we can't get first downs. And in the National Football League, if you can't get first downs, you can't stay on offense, and therefore you can't ever accumulate volume, and you can never be a fantasy producer. And so DeMarco Murray's kind of doomed. The only guy that you like in that situation, knowing that the team is going to be in a lot of third and long situations, is Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles is a young 32 years old because he's had very little wear and tears. Darren Sproles hasn't had a season in the NFL where he had a thousand, a thousand. He hasn't had a season in the NFL where he had 100 carries. So Darren Sproles is like Fred Jackson. He's in his early 30s, but he's a young 30. So you like that. The young 32. So if there is a running back on the Eagles that I think is a good value, a good value play, it's actually Darren Sproles. It's not DeMarco Murray. That's how wrong I was. That's just, it kills me to admit this, but it does. But in closing, I'm going to talk about a player I was right about. Because, of course, I'm not going to end on, oh, here's a, let's, the buzzards aren't going to win. The dodo buzzards aren't going to win this. I'm going to win. Because I was right about Carlos Williams. He is a fantastic receiver. He's a great between-the-tackles runner. He's a great outside runner. He's a great receiver. He's great in all phases. There, has vi- there are very few historical comparables for Carlos Williams. He's so fantastic. My head is exploding trying to think of who he's similar to because he's such a fantastic outlier. He's such a uniquely special athlete. Steven Jackson is the best comparable. And now this week, Carlos Williams plays Tennessee. They give up the sixth most points to fantasy running backs. And of course... What else would you expect but that Carlos Williams would be highly questionable and probably won't play on Sunday? Oh, but of course. But of course you don't. So, we're left to play Anthony Dixon. That's right. If Carlos Williams does not play, I'm streaming Anthony Dixon in every league. Anthony Dixon. I would say that Anthony Dixon is also, like Carlos Williams, an honorary Johnson. Certainly, I think this week he could be an RB1 in fantasy. I'm playing him as if he's going to be an RB1 in fantasy. I like Anthony Dixon a lot this week against that Tennessee front, that late Tennessee front. But Anthony Dixon, he's no Johnson. He's a booby. 